Welcome, welcome back, welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. So if you'll turn or scroll in your Bibles to 1 Peter, we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, but we're going to do something that I don't normally do, and we're going to start off reading in the King James Version of the Bible. Just out of curiosity, did anyone bring with them a King James Version of the Bible? There, I've got a couple. I've got a couple. Okay, so here's the story if you're not familiar. The King James Version is an English translation of the Bible that was written and completed in 1604. So that's the reason it has kind of an old English tone to it. Tonight, there's something unique in the King James Version of this verse that we're going to read. So we're going to start off tonight in the language of King James. 1 Peter 1 verse 13 says this, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can we pray as we kind of walk into God's word tonight? Father, we thank you that you are here with us tonight. We, we sense your presence in our worship time. We sense that you are good and loving and that you are here with us and we're not disconnected. We can be connected to you as we connect our spirit with yours. We pray that your Holy Spirit would lead our thinking and our feeling tonight as we spend time in your word, that these words would be alive and active, moving and shaping us tonight. We thank you for the community of faith here, and we pray that you would guide our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's look at a few of these words here in the King James. A couple of them might stick out to you as being a little old Englishy, like the very first one, which is wherefore, which is, uh, it's just a replacement for the same word therefore. So this is our connecting word to everything that happened in the first part of the chapter, which are all the things that we looked at last week. So last week we looked at this letter that is written by the Apostle Peter to these five churches in Asia Minor, an area of the world that today would be Turkey, but at this time in history, it would have been the Roman Empire. These are people who are not Jewish people, people who are Roman people who are being grafted into the family of Christ. We learned last week that Peter identified these new Christians with two words. And the first word he says, you are chosen, that you are a people who have been selected by God, and because you have been selected by God, you belong to Christ, and you belong to the family of Christ. I believe that is true for you today. I believe that if you have surrendered your life to Christ, that you are a chosen people. The other almost oxymoronic uh, attribute he gives us is he says that you are foreigners. So the people of Jerusalem, the Jewish people, have always been an exiled people. They know what it is to feel like an immigrant, and now that you are in Christ, you are also going to feel like an immigrant. You are going to feel like the place you are living is not your home. You do not belong here. So he expresses these ideals. He says, if you have been baptized in the faith of Jesus Christ, if you have sat at the communion table with the body of Jesus Christ, you are now part of a new family. Therefore, I want you to gird up your loins of your mind. Now, newer translations would simply say, uh, be prepared, or be alert, or get ready. But there's something in the King James Version that is unique, and the reason it's unique is because of the time period that 
of what it was like in the 1600s. So in the 1600s, men still wore tunics and robes. Um, if this was a Wednesday night service in 1600 England, well, we'd all be Catholic. I'd be wearing a robe, and I wouldn't be allowed to have a wife. So I'm a big fan of 2022, and I'm also, and I'm also a big fan of pants. I just have to say that as a man, I like that each one has their own spot for each leg. It's pajama pants, casual pants, any kind of pants. They keep you warm when it's cold outside, and when it gets too hot, shorts. I don't like the idea of wearing a robe. Or t Can you imagine? It's like, I feel like, like I don't feel safe going anywhere in a robe or a tunic. I definitely would not feel safe going to war in a war. Can you imagine like a Navy SEAL wearing like just a camo bathrobe? walking in to war. Well, in the 1600s, this is what they would have worn for regular days, and this is what they would have worn to war. That clothing in the 1600s would have been similar to the clothing during Bible time periods. And so both King James and the Bible time period listening to Peter would have gotten this reference when he says, gird up your loins. This is what men would do when they were heading to war to get ready. So they would take their robe, and they would get out of the way so that they could run, so that they could fight. And they would pull it up, get it up off the ankle so they could move quickly. And they would tuck in the robe into their belt so that they could move and not get caught on anything and be able to move quickly and fight and run. And they would make this move. So what Peter is saying here is he's saying, get ready for battle. Get your mind ready. And then he says, gird up the loins of your mind, which is really interesting because he begins to say the location where this battle is going to occur. And Peter says, there's going to be a battle. I want you to get ready for this battle. And this battlefield is going to be in your minds. So if you are a follower of Christ, if you have been baptized into the faith of Jesus Christ, if you have sat at the table of communion with the body of Jesus Christ, you are part of a new family. Therefore, I want you to get your mind ready for battle. You know, this is not the battle that the early church expected. We learned last week that the early church was under persecution. This Caesar, Nero, was coming for them. The burning of Rome was blamed on Christians, and now the Christians were a persecuted people. They were being captured and tortured. They would have really enjoyed if Peter would have dropped in a couple dozen tanks to help defend them. There was a literal, physical battle that was happening, and yet Peter says, I want you to get your mind ready for battle. Friends, can I encourage you tonight to, in your spiritual life, I want to challenge you to be alert. I want to challenge you to be ready. That when it comes to your spiritual health, when it comes to having a personal daily relationship with Jesus Christ, don't get sleepy. Don't get naive. Don't get distracted. If you are going to make it through, if you are going to be fulfilled and thriving as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to be ready for the battle in your mind. Peter describes this fight in the next three verses. 1 Peter verses 14 through 16. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. Important question, who does God want you to battle against? You. 
He wants you to go about it. There's an old uh, uh, children's church song we used to sing that was, I'm in the Lord's army. There you go. Yes. If you are in the follower of Jesus Christ, you are going to be in the Lord's army. There are going to be times we go to battle against the enemy, against evil people or evil things. But that is not the battle that Peter is talking about in the first chapter of 1 Peter. He says you're going to go to battle, and this battle is going to be in your minds. And unless you're schizophrenic, the only person inside your mind is you. There's just one person. And Peter says, if you're going to make it, I want you to pick a fight with you. In the verses we just read, he names three enemies that we want to pick a fight with. And we're going to go through those tonight. The first one is your old ways. Peter says, don't slip back into your old ways of living. There's a lot of tests going out, going on now with uh, self-driving cars. I think it's cool. I think that we might live to the day where we see self-driving cars as a regular thing in our world. What's interesting for me and my experience is that there are many times with my car where I feel like my car is a self-driving car. Let me explain. I, I, live, I live pretty close to here. We live in Greenfield, just about a five-minute drive away. And there is one location that my car goes more than any other location, and it's this church. Because I work here. It is my church. My kids love coming here. And so my car is very used to traveling to this building. And so if I wake up in the morning and I try and get my car to go anywhere else in Milwaukee, it will kind of drive itself here. And I, maybe I'm just a distracted driver, but I will find myself often, if I'm supposed to go north, I'll be coming south, and I'll have to do a U-turn at Rawson and head the other way. Because my habits are programmed into my mind. It is very easy for me to replay the things that I am used to doing. It is very easy for you to replay the things that you are used to doing. When I think about our old ways, I kind of think of two categories. And the first category I'm going to talk about are, are the old ways for the years or the time period of your life that you lived without Christ. And maybe for some of us that was a short period of time. Maybe for some of us that was a long period of time. But the time in your life where you figured out your work life without Christ. You figured out your family relationships without Christ. You figured out marriage without Christ. Those old patterns are hardwired into your brain, and it is very easy to slip back. Doing nothing is always the easiest path, and I promise you that if in your walk in Christ you do nothing, you will slip back into old ways. The other category I think about when I think about our old ways is I think about childish ways. Do you remember being a kid and having the, like, the desire to eat ice cream every single day, right? Like that would, that would be the dream. The dream would be ice cream every single day. But then at some point in your life, I think we've all, you know, if, if you have a job right now, you, you probably have enough money that if you wanted to, you could buy ice cream every single day. And it's important that once we have graduated out of that type of thinking, we don't go back into childish ways. It is good that no one in this room spends money like a seven-year-old or eats like a seven-year-old. But, you know, if you've ever seen a two-year-old lose their mind in a grocery store, yeah, well, 80-year-olds can do that too. It is possible for us to slip back into childish ways. And even if you are someone who has been a Christian your entire life or from a very young age, we all were once were children, and all of us can slip back into childish ways and childish motivations. 
tonight I want to make a very kind of a practical approach to identifying some of these old ways of finding the places in our habits that we have a temptation or a possibility, a desire to slip back into. And I, I want you to take a moment in your brain, and I want you to actually name it. So we're not going to name it out loud. This is a personal conversation for you, is to think about whether or not that is an old way from a life that you were living before you knew Christ, or it could be an old way from a childish way of a way that you used to be, of a behavior that you used to do on a regular basis or an occasional ba basis that you would identify as an ungodly or a sinful behavior that you used to have. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to name that. I want you to name it in your head and just put a bookmark on that. It might be, it might be an attitude. It might be a, an angry reaction towards people. It might be substance abuse. It might be whatever that list is in your head, think about those things and mark them as we kind of continue our talk today. The second enemy that Peter lists is he talks about fighting against your own desires. Peter says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your old desires. So this is pulling back the layers of what you do to find out the why you do. Every outward action is driven by an inward motivation. And Peter says, yes, you need to fight your old ways. But if you really want to get to the source, I want you to fight your own desires. Because it is your own desires that led you to your old ways. In Paul the Apostle's letter to the Galatians, he writes a pretty comprehensive list of where our sinful desires will lead us to. I want to read this list to you from Galatians chapter 5. Whenever you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, it's not just about the sinful acts. It's about the sinful desires. I, I feel like if, if Peter was doing a pastoral counseling session for a bank robber. I think, I think Peter would say, hey man, uh, we really got to stop robbing banks. But, but I don't think Peter would stop there. I think Peter would say, I, I, I get your old ways, but I want to talk about your own desires. So let's not just talk about robbing banks and stealing. Let's talk about greed. Let's talk about selfishness. Let's talk about pride. Let's talk about the desires that if you have had in your sinful nature that have led you towards this sin, I want you to think about the sinful old ways behavior that you had marked in your head just a few minutes ago. And then I want to ask this deeper question. Can you figure out the desire that led you to that? Right? So like if, if my old behavior was gossiping, then what was the desire that led to that spot? Was, was it envy? Was it, was it jealousy? Was it hatred? Like, where are those desires? And I want to challenge you in your pursuit to know God better that you would go 
deeper, that you would have a desire to get to the bottom of this. You know, I think the Holy Spirit is our guide through this. Our Holy Spirit can reveal to us these desires, these hidden desires behind these public actions. I think we can also find great godly counsel in the people that we know, our community of faith, people that you trust in your life, to say, hey, I keep finding myself falling into this trap. Can you help me figure out the desire that I'm trying to fight against? Peter gives us a tool to fight these desires with, and I'm so thankful that he does. In verse 22, Peter says this, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. So here's, here's the game plan. Here is the war plan. We are going to fight your own desires with love. We're going to replace them with the love of Christ, because you have experienced the love of Christ, because you know how it feels to be chosen, because Christ loved you while you were still a sinner. We are going to turn love into your singular motivation. If we can turn love into the why we do what we do, we will instantly repair the what we do. So if I ask the question, uh, why, why did you not steal from your employer this week? Ah, I didn't steal because God says I can't steal. No, that's not it. I didn't steal from my employer this week because I love God and because God has called me to love the people that I work with. Okay, so why was it that you didn't lie to your wife this week? Ah, because God told me I'm not allowed to lie. Nope, that's not it. I didn't lie to my wife this week because I love God and because God has called me to love my wife if there is a conflict in your workplace, in your marriage, in your finances, in your life, the first question I want you to ask is I want you to say, is love my singular motivation? Have I replaced my own desires with love, that I would love others the way that Christ has loved me? And when I make that shift in the why we do, you will change the what we do. The third enemy that Peter challenges us to go to battle against is your unholy actions. So Peter says, you didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. I've got to be honest, reading this verse is always tough because this feels like a lot of pressure on me. It sounds like Peter is telling me that I need to be perfect because God is perfect. And I, I don't know about you, but that goal seems very unrealistic. I am not a perfect person. I am not going to reach that spot. But I have good news for you tonight, and here it is. The word holy does not mean perfect. Holy means separated. So the Greek word here is hagios, and the word, it's, it's an adjective. So because it's an adjective, the word hagios, holy, is always used to describe something else. So when you see this Greek word in the New Testament, it might be used to describe uh, a holy ground or holy people, a holy marriage, the Holy Spirit, or even a holy kiss. God is holy because he is separated because he is above all things, because he is unique, because he is designated in a certain place. There is no one like him. Peter says, just like God is separated from all others, I want your life to be separated from the world that you live in. Let's talk about what is normal in our world. So, hating your job is normal. Being angry at your neighbors is normal normal. Being angry at the government 
is normal. Divorce is normal. Substance abuse is normal. Overeating and overspending is normal. Jealousy is normal. Hate is normal. Love is not normal. You know, throughout the history of, of the church, Christians have attempted different ways to separate themselves from the world, you know, different haircuts, different clothes, having a beard, not having a beard, living somewhere in rural Ohio. But he, here's the problem with outward signs of holiness, outward signs of separation, is that any righteous act robbed of love is unrighteous. In my Bible, the section that we're studying today is titled, A Call to Holy Living. And I, I find this intimidating because I, I'm not a perfect person. But holiness doesn't mean perfect. It means separated. And if I want to go to war against my old ways, my own desires, and my unholy actions, I need to separate myself. And God says, here's the weapon. I want you to use the love of Christ to attack these things and to separate yourself from the world that you live in. 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, your old ways. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. I think this section should be retitled, A Call to Love. Jesus loved you, so let love be your singular motivation. Let it be the desire that drives the decisions that you're making in your life. Use love as a weapon to attack your old self, your own desires, and your unholy actions. Gird up the loins of your mind, and let's get ready to go to battle. You know, there's a, a phrase that's been circling in our culture of the last couple of years, and the phrase is, is love is love. And, you know, uh, you know, purely from an academic standpoint, it's not a great path to define a word by itself, right? So that would be the same as saying, like, dogs are dogs and cats are cats, right? Um, so I think this is a much stronger definition. God is love. The reason we know what love is, the reason we can put a pin on it, is because God has displayed love to us by what he said and by what he did. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is Jesus Christ's body on the cross, giving his last breath, his last drop of blood for you. Love is the universe that God created for you. And that even when you rejected him, God's love made a path for you to get back to him and be reconciled through Christ to your heavenly father to be adopted into a new family. This, this is what love is. God, God did not call his people to blend in. He has called you, he has chosen you, and he has called you to stand out. Let us stand out with love. The Bible says that people in this world will know that we are Christians by our love. It will be the defining attribute of the way that we operate in this world is if we love each other and if we love others, if we love our enemies the way that Jesus Christ loved us, they will know these people are separated. These are a holy people. They stand out. They don't blend in. 
these are God's people. There's a, a couple that when I was in my junior year of high school, I lived in Springfield, Missouri, and they were leaders in the district office of the Southern Missouri District for the Sons of God. It's like, a, it wouldn't be one youth group, it'd be a, leaders over many youth groups, many different teenagers, ministries in the southern part of Missouri. And they were really cool people, and I was very impressed with them from a young age. And I just thought, these people have got it going on. They are super talented, they're very well-spoken, they're really caring, they always rem remember your name. And I was always so thankful for the kindness that they had shown to me. And so as I grew up, got out of high school, moved out of Missouri, I always kind of wanted to track like where they are. And as, as you would expect with people who are really talented and speak really well and really caring, doors of opportunity kept opening for them. Influence kept rising for them, and they moved on to different positions. And so last time I saw them a couple years ago, they had moved on to a position in the national office where they now have influence over teenagers, youth ministries all across America. It's super cool. It's super cool if you have someone at your job that you think they're really talented and you see them get promoted. You're like, yes, this is awesome. A godly person is rising up, is making uh, new doors of influence. And so I, I love seeing them. I love celebrating them. But then I hadn't seen them in a couple years. And I ran into them three weeks ago, like right here in our church gym sanctuary. And I said, hey, what are you doing in Wisconsin? And I got the update of what was happening in their lives. And that they're in their mid-50s now. And one of their parents lives way up in northern Wisconsin, about four or five hours north from here, and uh, is suffering very deeply from dementia. I don't know if you have had someone in your life who suffered from dementia. It's a very difficult caregiving experience. If you're caring for someone who has dementia, they're not going to thank you for it. It's going to be a really tough experience, and some days are going to be bad, and some days are going to be worse. And so they'd reached that point in care for their parents, and God had placed something very heavy on their heart. And there are many ways to care for the elderly. I'm not saying there's only one way to do that. But what God placed on their heart is that it was them, that it was, it was their calling. It was going to be their sacrifice to make. So at 55, at a place where if you look at it from a man-made perspective, like the career is on the rise, there are places to go, you've got voices of influence, you've got platforms, the salary's going up, like good things are happening, and they quit it all. So they both quit both of their jobs. They both had jobs in leadership, and they've moved up to northern Wisconsin. They are living off their savings right now because God has called them to do a radical act of love, and it's not glamorous. There is no applause to it, but I believe in my heart firmly that in those quiet places when God calls you to do something radical, when God calls you to live out love, to love others the way that Christ loved you, it is the one weapon that you have in this life to attack those old desires, those, those old ways of living that can cause us to slip back. We want to be a people who live on the offensive. We want to be people who are actively loving, who are showing, who are being the church that God has called us to be, to make an impact in this world, and to see your soul reconciled with Christ. Can we pray together tonight? Father, I love you. I think that you're here with us in this room tonight, and I pray that your spirit, as we have identified in our minds some old ways, some old 
habits that may be distant and may also be really close and may be something that still feels very current. I pray, Lord, that you would arise a sense of alertness in our spirits tonight. If we have been sleepy, if we have been naive, if we have been distracted, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would wake us up right now. I pray that you would help us to ready ourselves for battle. And I pray, Lord, that in our minds, you would be giving us the strength that we need to go to war and to see your kingdom exist on this earth and in our lives, Lord. I pray, Lord, that every person in this room would feel the authority to be a, a, a person who goes out into this world with the love of Christ. I pray that our love of Christ would be our singular motivation in the decisions and the actions that we make this week. I pray, Lord, that when tests come in the next few days, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our, 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 our romantic relationships, that when those tests come, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to choose love first. I pray that you would give us the strength and the clarity of thought and the determination of our spirit to choose love first and let the love of Christ be our singular motivation. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room. I pray that as we have spent time in this room, in worship, and in your word, that every single one of us would have a moment to feel seen by you. I pray for the person in this room tonight who feels discouraged, who feels like the war is being lost. And I pray, Lord, that you would be the lifter of their heads. I pray, Lord, that you would cause them to rise up and hope young son, young daughter of the king, and to see you and to see your affection and to know your good and perfect plans for each one of us. We love you. We thank you for this night. We pray that you would carry us, bring us back to this place soon, God, that we may be in your kingdom and be in your fellowship of the community that you have created for us. We love you and we give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.